Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chloe Rogis, and I'm the Digital Engagement Director here at Rolling Hills. This week, we're celebrating Palm Sunday and going deeper into our Easter series. Specifically, we'll be acknowledging the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Jesus stepped down from heaven and experienced every sort of infliction and difficulty man will ever face on earth. Though he was perfect, he bore the weight of every last sin any of us have committed and are going to commit. The cross bridged the divide, but it came at a price. Now let's dive into scripture together as we give thanks to our just and loving God. Well, good morning to you guys. I want you to complete the following phrase for me if you can. Okay, so this is a pretty familiar phrase. So I want to see if you guys know this. If it's too good to be true... It probably is. So you have heard that. So it wasn't just me. That was one of the phrases that was often told to me by my grandfather. I love my grandfather, and he went on to be with Jesus several years ago in a legacy of faith that was passed down through my dad and now to me, and I'm just so thankful for him. But he had lots of little statements and lots of little things that he always made sure that we as kids understood. That was one of the ones that I heard him say more than almost anything. A couple more just because maybe you're interested in some of his other pithy statements. One of the things he always used to say to me was, Jason, if you ever pull into a restaurant and there's no one eating there, you shouldn't be eating there either. And that's always really served me well. And I, and I always thought to myself, there's some wisdom in that. I can also hear him saying, I can hear my dad saying, and now I find myself saying this to my own children, Jason, you're going to do this regardless if you want to or not. So I would suggest that you find some fun in it. And I hear myself saying that to my own children now. And I think to myself, I'm three generations of this statement. You're going to be doing this regardless. So you might as well have fun. And then, of course, the one that really stuck out hard almost more than anything was the one that I started with. If it's too good to be true, then it probably is. And I'm sure that it's safe to say we have all been there. You've been walking down the streets of Gatlinburg and you get wooed into free Dollywood tickets. Or you're in a mall in Orlando and someone says, how about some free Universal Studios tickets? And you realize those tickets really weren't free. You're now finding yourself in a four-hour timeshare presentation. On someone's, on someone's radar for the next 17 years of your life with phone calls and emails, and you realize those Dollywood tickets really were not free. It was too good to be true, meaning that it would probably is. Just a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from someone in the UK who said, if you click this link, I have $6 million for you. And the link looked pretty shady, and, um, and it was from some Gmail address. And so I chose not to do that because I thought to myself, it's probably too good to be true. And then there's this up here on the screen. There's this perk hair growth um, spray. And in seven days, you can go from this to this. And I'm not saying that it doesn't work. But I'm just saying in seven days that doesn't happen. I mean, because if that happened, there are some of you guys that would be investing your hard-earned money in this company. Can I get an amen? The truth of the matter is we get sold a false bill of goods all the time. Maybe it's products. Maybe it's a scam emails. Maybe it's some, some things that are just sounding a little bit too good to be true because someone says they're free, but they're not really free. And because that is such a common everyday principle for us. What I tend to see happen pretty frequently in my own life, and maybe you see this in your own life as well, because it's too good to be true, it probably is. It's kind of this working mantra for a lot of us. We tend to, if not careful, allow that to infiltrate into our spiritual life as well. And we find ourselves reading God's Word or looking at some truths in God's Word, a few things, and this isn't the topic of today's message at all, but God's Word is filled with truths like we don't need to worry. 
God's word is filled with truths like you don't have to be riddled with anxiety. God's word tells us that you can have peace in the midst of challenges. And of course, where we're headed today, God's word tells us that salvation is a free gift to all. But when you hear those words, you may think to yourself, that sounds too good to be true. So it probably is. But here's the big idea today. This story is not too good to be true. This Easter story that we're now three weeks into and that we're looking forward to culminating next week with Resurrection Sunday, I hope I let the, the, I let the cat out of the bag too early about what next week's all about. You may have heard it a million times, but I pray even if you have heard it a million times that it hits you today like you've heard it for the very first time. Or maybe you don't have as much familiarity with this story. Someone invited you today and you're just kind of checking out faith and you have familiarity with who Jesus is but haven't really grasped what it is that he has done for you. And maybe you hear that and you think to yourself, that's not possible. Wherever you are on that continuum, know that I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm looking forward to us unpacking how significant this sacrifice of Jesus is and what it means for us and what it means for those around us and what it means for our forever as we seek to be who it is that he has called us to be. So again, I'm grateful that you're here. Why don't we pray together before we start reading God's word? Lord, thank you for this day. I'm thankful for each and every person who's here. God, it's not by accident that any of us are here. And so God, we give this day to you. We pray that your word would speak to us boldly and that you would remind us just how good you are and that that sacrifice that you made on the cross would be a truth that we not only have accepted, but a truth that we seek to live in, that we seek to share with others. And so again, God, we're grateful for who you are, and it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. So today we're looking at the sacrifice of Jesus. In fact, today we're looking at his death on the cross, and next week we're going to be looking at that empty tomb. But in order for us to kind of unpack where we are today, we've got to do some backstory, because we didn't get here without some, some, some leading up to this. So what has happened? What, is, what has kind of led to this point? Because my subject heading as to where I'm headed today in Mark chapter 15 says the death of Jesus. That's kind of what the subject heading of, this, of, of, this kind of, of these verses are all about. So what got us to that point? Well, you've got to go back a couple weeks where we look at the world was promised that a Messiah was coming. And the Old Testament is filled with prophecy, and that was there were prophets who had prophesying, who were proclaiming the truth that a Messiah was coming. But as we talked about two weeks ago, no one was expecting the kind of Messiah that we actually got. We were expecting a valiant warrior king, but instead we got a baby, a baby who was born to a virgin who was raised by earthly parents, and as he grows up, he begins to settle into that purpose for which God called him, and he started calling disciples, and he started calling out very normal people to do the work that God had called him to do. And ultimately, he began hanging out with people that the religious leaders didn't want him to hang out with, people that the society had shunned, so to speak, but he was fulfilling the purpose for which God had sent him, salvation for all of mankind. And so he has lots of opposition, so much so he doesn't shy away from that opposition. Today in our, in our Christian calendar is what we call Palm Sunday, and so Palm Sunday is a reflective celebration of that entry, that triumphant entry that Jesus comes into Jerusalem, not only to be with his disciples, not only to speak truth, but also to face opposition and to say, I boldly and passionately and voluntarily and willfully, because it is God's plan, come to give my life as a sacrifice for many. And we know what happens after that. He's falsely accused of a crime. And the crowd says, crucify him, crucify him. And so he's placed on a cross and those insults are being hurled at him. And people are laughing at him and people are mocking him. 
and they're playing a, a game of dice at the foot of the cross to see who gets his garments, and the shouts of crucify him, the shouts changed from Hosanna to crucify really quickly. And that leads us to the part of the text that we're in today in Mark chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, open with me to Mark chapter 15. You're going to see these words up here on the screen, starting in verse 33. And you can follow along with me in the app as well. Starting in verse 33, going through the end of Mark chapter 15. So at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance, and among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. And it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And you read this story, and it's, again, kind of titled The Death of Jesus. And ultimately, what the world sees in this story is finality. The world sees this story and says, case closed. It's over. But you see some characters here. You see some characters that are responding differently to the death of Jesus. You have this centurion soldier who was actively involved in this crucifixion process. And ultimately, when he sees what happens, comes to the realization, surely he was the Son of God. We just crucified the Messiah. There were these women there who were following Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, many other women, and they're in shock and awe. They're grieving. They're mourning at the loss of the Savior. There's Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who asked for Jesus' body, and he goes to Pilate, the one who allowed this to happen, who sentenced him to death, and Pilate was surprised that he had already died. And there were other women who watched and made note of the tomb that they were placed in. And when you look at these cast of characters, these cast of characters are confronted with the same reality that you and I are confronted with today when we look at Jesus. When we see this person of Jesus, when we read this text, and when we think about this Messiah, we have to process through how we respond to Jesus just like they did. Are you like the centurion who says, He was the son of God. Or are you the one who stands in opposition? Or are you the one who's just kind of apathetic, who's just kind of there and says, oh, that's really sad that this happened. And I kind of move on with my life. Because see, either Jesus is the savior, like he said, or as C.S. Lewis says, he was a liar. He was a lunatic. He was completely gone mad. But instead of any of those choices, he was the Messiah. Because see, he born, he, li- he was born, he lived, he died in the place of our sin. He was placed in a tomb. And what do we know about Jesus' life? What do we know about his life and his death? A couple things. One, we know that sin demanded it. It's why he died. Because our sin, the brokenness, the separation from God, it demanded that he died. We also know that Jesus volunteered for this. 
This wasn't something that, you know, he, he was forced to do. It was God's plan, and Jesus willfully did it because it was a demanding of the sin, but also something that he stepped up to do. But it was also a sacrifice of love. It was a sacrifice of love. And so I want us to camp out for just a second on that word, sacrifice. Because if I'm going to make the claim to you in the Bible that this was a sacrifice of love, then we got to be able to validate that. And we've got to be able to see how was that, in fact, a sacrifice of love. Now, definitionally, if you were to go to Webster's and kind of look up the word sacrifice, you're going to see lots of different definitions. Because sacrifice can mean a lot of different things. It can mean me bringing an offering to something or someone or something that's precious to me. I can sacrifice something by selling it at a loss. You know, I paid $100 for this, but nobody wants to buy it for $100. So I sacrifice and sell it for $50, whatever the case might be. Baseball season is back. Some of you are so excited about that. There's a sacrifice bunt in baseball, whereas I get an out so that you can advance, you know, around the bases. I get out so you can advance to third. Sacrifice also means to surrender something. It means to give up something for the sake of someone else. It's that moment when there's only one seat left on the plane and you and someone else are waiting standby. And you say, I'm going to give you the seat so you can take the seat and I'll wait on the next flight. Sacrifice is me being at the Cheesecake Factory and they only have one piece of turtle cheesecake left and me and someone else wants it. And I say, go ahead, you can have it. Sacrifice is you letting someone make a left turn on Nolensville Road. Thank you to the one out of 17 drivers in town willing to make a sacrifice on behalf of the rest of us. Sacrifice at the core is me saying others first. That sacrifice. Does anyone struggle with that? Thank you for leaving me by myself up here. It's just me. I'm the only one that struggles from time to time to put other people first and to keep other people first. On Tuesday of this past week, I was reminded just how much I don't like to put other people first sometimes. Our second grade daughter had a program at school. And if you have a second grade, there's something really unique about second graders. I love my children. I talk about them a lot unashamedly. So I'm sorry if that's too much. But they're sweet and awesome, and I love them. And so my second grader, if you have a second grader, you know something's been really unique about second graders. They've never had a year of school that wasn't a COVID year. And so kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And so I love school programs, and they've, never had, they've not had a chance to have the second grade, the first grade, the kindergarten program. We had the second grade program, and I put it on my calendar. I was excited about it, and I wanted a good seat. We got there early, like 20 minutes early before the doors ever opened. And we're waiting there with about 20 other people who are equally excited, all kind of clumped together. And you know where this is headed. There's 20 of us sitting there at the front of the door, and the door is open, and you've got all these other parents that have been there for about three minutes that are on the left and the right, and the door is open, and what happens with all the crowd? They start merging. And I see people who have been there for four minutes coming in front of those of us who have been there 25 minutes. And I have to keep reminding myself, I'm a pastor, I love people. I'm a pastor, I love people. <laughs> I'm a pastor, I love people, but lady, you need to wait your turn. I'm a pastor, but I love people. Sacrifice doesn't always come so naturally to us. Something has to happen in us to be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to take a back seat and allow someone else to have a place of prominence, to allow someone else to have something that I might think I deserve or to allow someone else to have something that I don't think they deserve. And when you think about the story of Jesus' life and when you think about God's plan and when you think about God's purposes for the world through his son Jesus, you begin to see why the sacrifice is so significant. 
And you see why the sacrifice is necessary. I mean, go with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. Look at 1 John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. See, God did this to show us just how much he loved us. This sacrifice was a plan from the beginning so that you and I may be able to have life. And maybe you're listening to this story and you're thinking, yeah, I get it, Pastor Jason, but you also said Jesus was fully God. And you also said that this was something that Jesus willfully, you know, was okay and volunteered to do, if you will. You knew that that was a part of the plan, but don't miss the fact that Jesus was also human. This was the Son of God. This was the Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father giving his one and only Son. In fact, look at Mark 15, 33, in a loud voice, what did Jesus say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If there is ever a verse of scripture that screams the humanity of Jesus, it was this. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. There was blood pumping through those veins. There was that emotional capacity. There was that ability to say, God, is there another way? Why is this the way? But see, God had a plan to show us love, and Jesus willfully served as the sacrifice. And if you don't hear anything else I hear today, I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything else I hear, hear this. Jesus' sacrifice was not just for the select few. Jesus' sacrifice was not just for the select few. See, most of us are going to struggle with sacrifice at some point in our life because at, at the core, it means I have to put other people first. And I struggle sometimes to put other people first when it comes to really insignificant things. My place in line, the seat choice, the cheesecake, whatever the case may be, these are really insignificant things in the grand scheme of life. And sometimes we struggle with sacrifice. But when you look at what God did, God gave his son for all of mankind and Jesus willfully went through with it and joyfully took on the cross so that all people may come to know God and that all may be in a relationship with God. Now, in some of the other gospel accounts of the crucifixion, for example, in the book of Luke, which I'm going to read here in just a little bit, you see some other details, some other details that other writers of the gospel highlighted on that, that show you just how not selective <laughs> this sacrifice of Jesus really was. So look at Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32 down through verse 34, two other men, both criminals, were also led out to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Scroll down to verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, to the crowds, the ones who were jeering, the very thieves who were insulting him, the onlookers who were, some of them identifying him as the Messiah and others who were identifying him as a criminal, even though he was falsely accused. Jesus says to all of them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, there was no desire and arrogance to be made right. There was no pretense. There was rather a willingness to sacrifice. There was a willingness to forgive and one can only imagine that that would have sent chills down the spine of the first century hearers. 
In fact, imagine Jesus' own disciples who are watching what is happening, and Jesus, even in his death, is painting them a picture of the life that they are to live. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In fact, when you hear those words this morning, it might send chills down your own spine, because in his death, the needs of others were at the forefront of his mind and his heart and his words. And if I seek to be like Jesus, if I seek to live and allow Jesus to be the example for which I follow my life with, how do I handle it when I'm insulted? How do you handle it when you're falsely accused? How do you respond when someone says something not nice to you? How about when someone offends you? How about when a rumor starts about you? How about when someone judges you and they have no reason to be judging you? What do you and I tend to do? We tend to hold the grudge, don't we? And we tend to say, oh, here's an opportunity for me to not just, not only not show forgiveness, but an opportunity for me to get revenge. Why? Because we like the final word. But I love that song that we sing here at church that says the cross has the final word. We like to get the final word, but yet the cross ultimately had the final word. But what do we like to do? We like to prove how right we are and how wrong you are. But Jesus didn't do that. And so perhaps an Easter takeaway to be more like Jesus is to say, you know what, maybe I'm holding a grudge against someone as we speak, and the last piece of homework that you expected to receive in this Easter message was words from the great theologian Elsa, let it go. <laughs> Forgive. Make it right. Yet that's exactly what Jesus modeled. And that should be the desire of our heart. I mean, go back and look at verses 39 through 43. I'm not going to read it to you again, but you see this moment, these two criminals, the very thieves who were joining in insults, one of them acknowledges Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me. There was a change of heart. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds by saying, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus does not accept you and I based on how good we are. He doesn't accept us based on all of the things that we have to offer. In fact, when it comes to the sacrifice of Jesus and what he offers us, I hope that you realize this truth. You see it here on the screen, and maybe you want to reflect on this throughout the course of this week. You can't earn it, and you don't deserve it. This is good news, isn't it? You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. This is something that none of us can earn, and it's nothing that we certainly deserve. And I honestly think that one of the biggest hang-ups for people in pursuing Jesus is this, because they try to earn it. I find this in conversation quite frequently when I'm talking to someone about faith. They will say something along the lines of, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I deserve that. And inherent in that statement is a lack of understanding of the concept of grace. And we have to understand grace because grace is a gift that you and I did not deserve. It's not something that we earned. It sounds way too good to be true from a worldly perspective, but it's true. Maybe you were raised in a religious home where the unwritten story of your home was you have to behave a certain way to belong. Or maybe you have a faith background where, you, where, where what you were taught was, you know, you pray these prayers, you offer these penances, you do these things, you recite these mon mantras, you give this money, and you're good to go. Completely irrelevant to the fact that I don't earn my salvation. Completely irrelevant to the fact that I don't deserve what Jesus has done for me. It's not about my works because I can't be good enough. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 affirms this, for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's such a good text. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. 
and not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, why is it not about works? Because if it was by works, according to what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, if I could work this out myself, then what would I have the temptation to do? I would have the temptation to boast about it. If I could do this in my own power, I would have the temptation to take the credit. It's kind of like when something goes great in your company or something goes great on your team. We love to step up and take credit for it, don't we? But when something goes wrong on my team or when something goes wrong with the company, it's really fun to try to find somebody else to put in the crosshairs and to say, oh, it's really her fault. It was really his fault. See, it's only by grace, meaning that I can't earn it and I certainly don't deserve it. Because when you think about the executioners or when you think about the very criminals who were hanging on the cross, the criminals who had actually done something wrong, who were crucified next to Jesus, I read that story and I think to myself, the least deserving people of God's grace should be them. The least deserving people of God's grace should be the thieves on the cross and the very executioners who hung Jesus on the cross. But it's those groups of people that Jesus specifically addressed by saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And today you will be with me in paradise. What does that mean for us? It means, as you see here on your screens, that Jesus died for you in your absolute worst moment. It means that Jesus died for you in your absolute worst moment. One of the questions that I get asked a lot as a pastor, and, um, and I don't know why people ask me, I guess they're just interested, but they always want to know what's your favorite Bible verse. You know, what is your favorite Bible verse? And I have about 14 that, um, you know, that, that go back and forth between first place. So if you were to ask me today and ask me tomorrow, I might give you a different verse. But I honestly think, in all honesty, I really do think my favorite verse of Scripture is Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, that demonstration of God's love, that A plus B equals C, explain it to me like I'm a preschooler and so that everybody can get this, that base level understanding of a demonstration of God's love is that he sent his son to die for me while I was a sinner. He sent his son to die for me, a sacrifice for a broken person, a sacrifice for a broken people, and a sacrifice for a broken world. And he did it for me when I didn't deserve it and when I certainly couldn't earn it. Maybe you have someone in your life right now that just kind of grates on your nerves. Please don't raise your hand if they're sitting beside you. Maybe you have someone in your life um, that just grates on your nerves. Maybe you have a friend that's kind of a taker. You know, sometimes we have those friends that sometimes you just want to be like, would you maybe ask me something about me every so often? You know, because the conversation's always really one-sided. Or you may have that friend who's kind of a one-upper, you know, and you just love to be in conversation with them because they remind you of how awesome they are and um, how normal you are. When you think about that type of person, how, is it, how easy is it to want to be willing to sacrifice for that person? Not very easy. It's not necessarily something that comes really natural to us. Or maybe you think about just kind of the evil people in the world, the people who have really bad intentions, the people who do not have your best interest in mind, for example. How easy is it to be forgiving or to want to sacrifice for that person? Not at all. Or maybe you have a family member, and, you know, we'll just call him Uncle Johnny, and every time he shows up, conflict comes with him. You know, and you're just always praying, don't let me get the seat at the Thanksgiving table by Uncle Johnny. And in those moments, you realize it's not easy to want to sacrifice 
for difficult people. It's not easy to want to sacrifice for people that might kind of get on my nerves, so to speak. In fact, it's much easier to love really lovable people. It's easy to walk into a room and find people who are just like you, who are always going to tell you exactly what you want to hear and say, of course I'm willing to sacrifice on behalf of them. But anyone, in all honesty, can really do that. Jesus, however, shows us a different way. Jesus' sacrifice shows us that on the contrary, he was not just dying for lovable people. He was dying for broken people. And his sacrifice was made willfully for the brokenness of humanity. And that sacrifice was made in love. In fact, the sacrifice made for any reason besides love is really not sacrifice. A sacrifice that's made for any reason besides love is a number of things. It could be selfishness. It could be apathy. It could just be, I've got to move this off my plate. However, though, as you see here on your screen, Jesus dying for the broken should serve as a really stark reminder of how much Jesus loves us and how much we are loved. Jesus dying for the broken should serve as that stark reminder of just how much we are loved. I love this quotation from C.S. Lewis. He says, and I quote, God loves us not because we're lovable, but because he is love, not because he needs to receive but because he delights to give. Did you catch that? God loves us not because we're lovable, but because he is loved. Sometimes when we think about God, we think about God in kind of grandfather terms. Like God just loves us because we're cute and, you know, like a grandfather loves his grandchildren. And the reality is God doesn't love us because we're lovable. We're, in fact, very broken. God loves us because he is love. And he desires to sacrifice for all of mankind. His death was for the broken, and you and I have a message to tell. We have people that need to hear this message. In fact, you have some people in your life that need to hear this message this very week. Why? Because we're broken. There are broken people in these four walls right now. There are broken people in your places of employment. There are people on your street that are broken. If you don't think there are broken people in your neighborhood, I promise you, you are living in a bubble. And you've got to get out of your bubble if you don't think that there's broken people around you. And we live in what I think is one of the most amazing towns, one of the most amazing, amazing regions, one of the most amazing states, the most amazing. I mean, it's just incredible. I love being here more than anywhere I've ever been in my entire life. But it's real easy for me if I'm not careful to think, you know, everybody here is just all good. But the reality is people are broken. I mean, just this week, I had a conversation with a recovering alcoholic who so desperately wants to be free. I had multiple conversations this week with people who have struggling marriages. I had a conversation with, this week with someone who is lonely and who's yearning for friendship and community. I spoke with someone this week who has a member of their family who is very, very ill, and it seems very helpless, and they're in a very hopeless state right now, and they're overwhelmed. Oh, and by the way, those were just conversations with people here in church. That's not counting the conversations with people outside of the church. That's just within these four walls. But see, God loves us so much that he gave, and this is the game-changing truth. And it sounds too good to be true, but it isn't. So as we head into this Easter week, may you and I realize, and may we boldly proclaim this truth as we head into this holiest of weeks. Jesus breathed his last breath so we could breathe our first. Jesus breathed his last breath so we could breathe our first. Look at Mark 15, 37. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Meaning this is where our life begins. 
This is where our hope is found. This message is for all, and this message is desperately needed. And so if you're here and you have questions about that, maybe you're saying, you know what, I really don't know if I understand what Jesus has done for me, and I don't know if I've ever fully grasped that in my life. I hope and pray that today would be the day when you say, God, make it so abundantly clear to me. You have one of those worship guides in your hand that you were given when you walked in today. Make a note on that card and say, I want to talk to someone. Or make a note to say, I want to accept this free gift of, of grace that Jesus has given me. Or I have a next step of faith that I want to take. We're going to be baptizing people next Sunday on Easter Sunday. And maybe that's a step of faith that you want to take to say, I publicly want to acknowledge what Jesus has done for me. It's not too late to be a part of those celebrations next Sunday. But for all of us, may we live like Jesus today. And may we be like Jesus. May we never grow tired of reflecting on his goodness and the sacrifice of his son. And may that provide us strength. And may that provide us peace. And may that provide us encouragement that we so desperately need and that we yearn for in this world. And may we have opportunities to share that truth with those in our circle of influence, with those in our sphere this week, because they desperately need to hear it as well. And so I wanna pray for all of us Pray for all of us to be who God has called us to be this week, to reflect upon his goodness and to share that hope with those we come in contact with this week. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for who you are. God, you are so good, and we are so thankful for your grace, and we're thankful for your mercy, and we're thankful, God, that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. We don't deserve it, and we certainly do not earn this free gift It's a gift that you give to us, and so we're grateful for that. And so, God, I pray that that would be the desire of our heart, that you would put us in places this week where we can share with broken people, that you would give us opportunities this week to reflect upon the sacrifice that was made so that we could have life. And, God, we love you, and we seek to live for you, and we seek to find our hope and our joy and our peace in you today. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If this podcast episode has blessed you in some way, we hope you will tell a friend about us and subscribe so that you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Be sure to explore our other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, Download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. See you next time and God bless.